0: Is this? It is on. Hey, all right. Good morning. Turning my clicker on. Hey. Thought I'd forget that, so I, I put it on there. Uh, I'm Jake. My name is Jake Ulicich. Uh I'm an actor. I'm a musician, and I also have a biblical and theological studies degree from North Park University in Chicago. Yeah. And uh, I actually asked uh, David and Daryl, David, uh, Daniel and Daryl. There's too many D words. here, (laughs) um, If I could speak because I had this message rolling around in my head for months. Just kind, it was always on my mind, and I, um, I just felt I needed to share it. So uh, thank you for letting me uh, be up here. I'm going to talk today. uh, I've I've entitled this sermon. Jesus is crazy. I guess. Um, and you'll see why in a little bit. Oh, it, are there any millennials here? I, millennial. I translated this for the millennials. Jesus be cray cray. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, but uh, surprisingly, we're actually going to start this with the story of Jonah. How many of you guys have ever heard of the story of Jonah? Lots of hands raised. Um, and there's actually a couple of stories of Jonah that I actually want to get to um, because I think there's some confusion about what the message of Jonah really is. Um, first of all, I, wanna, uh, I did some research, and I, th- I just thought this was really cool. Scholars have recently uncovered... Um, uh, like a trove of art from 700 B.C. And and they found a depiction, what they think is actually a depiction of the prophet Jonah, um, which is really cool. I just wanted to show you, yeah. <laughs> from the time period. <laughs> but <laughs> that's my last joke. That's my last joke. I just don't, I don't, <laughs> I have something serious to get to. So, um... But I grew up with the story of Jonah um, as like a Veggie tales story, and it was really fun, and it it had a great message, and I wanted to share that story with you, and then I wanted to um, I wanted to talk about what the actual story is, because it's actually a little bit different. Um, so the first story of Jonah um, was that Jonah was a prophet in Israel, right? And he, do you guys know what a prophet is? A prophet is someone who hears God's words and delivers his message to the people or to the person that God wants the message delivered to. So if I heard a word from God, I would go to the person uh, to whom it's relevant and say, God has this message. Uh, and Jonah uh, was a prophet in Israel. He got a message uh, several times, um, at least once that we know of in uh, the rest of the Bible, and then this one in Jonah, in the book of Jonah in the Bible. Uh, he receives a message, and God tells him to go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was really scary because it had a lot of uh, people who were really mean. And so Jonah was supposed to go over there, uh, but he was really scared. Uh, so he, instead, he took a ship in the opposite direction. So if you guys like maps, Here's my map. That arrow is pointing to where Nineveh is in Assyria. And Jonah went in the Mediterranean. Tarshish is all the way on the other side in Spain. So he went on a ship in the opposite direction. And then God was upset. So God sent a storm and, and the ship tumbled around and couldn't get back to shore. And Jonah told the people on the ship to toss him overboard and they did, and the storm calmed. And Jonah got swallowed by a giant fish. And he was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights until finally he prayed to God and said, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have been afraid. I will do whatever you want. And Jonah had the fish spit Jonah back out onto dry land. Jonah traveled to Assyria. And here's Assyria. That's, that's the uh, king of Nineveh right there. Just, <laughs> uh, But Jonah, Jonah went to Nineveh, and he preached, um, and they repented. Jonah learned his lesson. God spared the city, and everything was great. And that's the story that I heard as a kid. The problem with this story um, is that Jonah wasn't scared. Jonah wasn't scared to go to Nineveh. He didn't run away because he was scared to go. He ran away Because he hated them. He hated their guts and he wanted them to die. See, Assyria was the worst, literally the worst. They were filled with warlike people. They worshipped a warlike God and they went to battle and they kicked everyone's butt. No one could stand up to the Assyrians. Not the Egyptians, not the Persians, not the Babylonians, not the Phoenicians, not the Israelites, not the Arameans. Everybody in that area got the snot kicked out of them all the time by the Assyrians. And the Assyrians demanded tribute. They would say, give me... A bunch of money every month or every year send it my way and if you don't keep those payments coming we will come down there we will rape your women we will kill your young men and we will take your kids as slaves and they did if you didn't pay up they were the worst and Jonah and all the Israelites and all the rest of the people in this area in the Middle East hated them because they were the worst But I want to get to a little bit about um, what I think is the real underlying issue here, which is tribalism. Everybody in the ancient world, including the Assyrians and including the Israelites, had a tribal mindset. They felt that God was on their side Their God was on their side, and their God was going to give them victory over the other people whose God was probably weaker. And if you got victory in battle, it's because your God was stronger than their God. The Israelites did this, the Egyptians did this, the Assyrians did this. In fact, much later than Jonah, uh, the Assyrians had an army that was coming down to face the southern kingdom of Judah and it got annihilated by a storm or by a, a natural disaster and the Israelites attributed it to their God. What a lot of people don't know is that the Egyptians attributed it to their God. They all said, our God did this. If you won in battle, your God was victorious. In fact, the, the uh, Philistines which lived next to Israel, one time they captured the Ark of the Covenant and they put it in their temple. The Ark of the Covenant was Israel's uh, symbol of their God. It's where god, God's presence was in Israel. And, and the Philistines beat them in battle and they took the Ark of the Covenant and put it in their temple as a trophy. right? And then, and then uh, the Philistine god Dagon actually fell over and it was... They were scared, so they sent it back. (laughs) But but they were all, this happened all the time. You would beat someone else, and you would take their gods as trophies. (laughs) And um, so the story of Jonah is that Jonah um, ran away. He said, I'm not going to have this. And the, the structure, the dynamic is the same. He, he went on the ship. He got swallowed by the fish. Uh, he repented, said I'm sorry. He left. Uh, he went to Nineveh. Uh, and then he preached to Nineveh, and Nin- the Ninevites sorrowfully clothed themselves in, in sackcloth. It's, it's as if you had like a potato sack, and you put that on instead of your clothes. It was a way that they showed that they were truly... Sorrowful, and they would weep. And Jonah went outside the city, and he sat down to watch the city to see what would happen to it. And nothing was happening because they had repented, and God had relented. And um, it was Jonah's trip. And uh, Jonah, in chapter four, it says, "But to Jonah this seemed very wrong." And he became angry. He prayed to God, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, God, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. He hated the Assyrians so much that he wanted to die when God spared them. And he knew who God was. This is the weird thing. He understood that God cared about other people and that he was gracious and merciful. And yet Jonah saw the Assyrians not as people that God cared about, but as people who were enemies of God because he had a tribal mindset, even though he knew who God was supposed to be. And, and uh, the book of Jonah continues in this weird story. There's this weird story about how Jonah's sitting out in the sun, basically, he's suffering because it's hot, he has very little food and water, uh, and, he's, and God allows a plant. He causes a plant to grow up next to Jonah, and it gives him shade. And then God allows the plant to wither and die. And Jonah gets mad, right? And and Jonah's like, "Why why would you let that plant die? And God's response was, you have been concerned about this plant, even though you didn't tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight And shouldn't I have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are 120,000 people who do not know their left hand from their right? This is crazy in the ancient world. People in the ancient world didn't do this. They didn't go to other countries and tell them that God cared about them. Jonah didn't think it was right. And God is saying, no. There's 120,000 people there. You would care about this plant, and you didn't even do anything. You didn't make it. You didn't cause it to grow. You didn't water it. It grew up on its own, died on its own, and you're mad about it. I created these people. I made the Assyrians and I care about them. Shouldn't I have concern for 120,000 people? Poor, uneducated people who don't know their left hand from their right. Let's fast forward. Because eventually the Assyrians did get destroyed. They got Everybody got fed up with the Assyrians. They turned back to uh, their warlike ways, and everybody teamed up on them. The the Persians, the Medes, the Babylonians, the Israelites, the Egyptians, everybody got sick of it and teamed up on them and finally kicked their butts. And, um, And then the Babylonians rose to power. And then Persians beat the Babylonians, and they created this big empire. And then the Greeks... Under Alexander the Great, they cut a swath through Persia and they created several uh, kingdoms. And then the Romans came along. And the Romans were the worst. (laughs) Not there yet. The Romans were horrible. Uh, The Romans made the Assyrians look like kids because the Romans were systematic about their brutality. They not only killed your young men, raped your women, and took your children as slaves, they set up garrisons in your hometown, and they regularly collected taxes, and they regularly bullied the people and reminded them who was in charge. And the Roman soldiers... See, Israel was under constant occupation. They had the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks. They were never in charge of their country again after, after Babylon. And then the Romans come along, and they're the worst. Literally. They, in fact, a Roman... If you're an Israelite and a Roman soldier came to you and hit you in the face, do you know what you could do? Nothing. You bowed your head and you took it. If a Roman soldier uh, demanded your cloak, he could take you to court and his word was everything and your word was nothing. If If he said, this is my cloak, then it's his cloak and you have to give up your cloak. And you know what you could do about it? Nothing. You bowed your head and you did what you were told. And if a Roman soldier wanted someone to carry his pack, he could stop you in the street, minding your own business, going about your life, trying to make a living, and make you walk a mile with him, carrying his stuff. And there's nothing you can do about it. They bullied you. They were like slaves to the Romans. And the Romans were hated. They hated the Romans deeply. And the Pharisees and the Israelites in general, they developed this idea of a Messiah. Now, the, Messiah, the idea of a Messiah was already in their scriptures. It was, already, it was already kind of out there. That God was going to send someone to save them. A Messiah is an anointed one. Anointed means they pour over their head with oil to symbolize that God is on that person, and that they are special, and that they are going to fulfill God's purpose. So they had an idea, a mythology about a a Messiah that was going to come, and that Messiah was going to save them from the Romans. And the Pharisees did everything that they could to make sure that Israel was worthy. Right? They were godly people, and they were pious, and they wanted to make sure that everyone else was godly and pious because they were still tribal. They still felt that God was going to give them victory if they followed God well enough over their enemies. And so... So they said that, that the Messiah was going to be someone that would kick the Romans out. If a Roman soldier punched a Messiah in the face, what was the Messiah going to do? He's going to take the Roman's head off. If a Roman soldier tried to take the Messiah's cloak, the Messiah would take everything that that Roman soldier had. And take his children as his slaves. The Roman soldier would have no power over the Messiah. The Messiah would kick the Romans in the nose and send them packing. If a Roman soldier tried to make the Messiah walk a mile carrying his stuff the Messiah would tie the Roman soldier to his horse and ride a mile. This is the kind of Messiah they were waiting for. Because they had it in their heads that God was for them and against everybody else, against their enemies. And so Jesus comes along and he tells the people, he's he's actually performing miracles. He's healing people. He's feeding the 5,000. He's walking on water. He's impressing everybody. And he's teaching people, and he comes along and teaches, if someone hits you in the cheek, what you should do is turn your other cheek and let them hit you again. And then he says, if someone sues you for for your cloak... Offer to them your shirt, too. And if someone makes you walk a mile, walk with them an extra mile. This is the exact opposite of what they're waiting for. And to be honest, it's kind of crazy. Would any of you even... To Jonah and to us, this does not sound right, is the point. It doesn't sound right. If someone is oppressing you, if the Russians had taken over the United States and had garrisons in our hometowns and they made you walk a mile, do you think the sentiment would be, you know what, let me walk two miles? You're my enemy, but I know God cares about you. Is that our our American instinct? No. And it wasn't theirs either. It's the the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they came to Jesus wondering, what is going on? You seem like the Messiah because you're healing people, because you're performing miracles. So they go to him. It says the Pharisees and teachers of the law said, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And most of us read this and go, wait, hasn't he been performing signs this whole time? No, they want to see a sign that he's going to kick the Romans' butts. They want to see a sign that he's for them, that he's the anointed one who's going to save them from the Romans. And he says, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. No sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. I had never connected these two for a long time. Um, The sign of Jonah is the tomb. Jesus goes later into the tomb and then he emerges from the tomb three days. But I, for some reason, had never connected the message of Jonah, which is that God is not a tribal God, but one God over all people who loves everybody. And here's Jesus saying the message of Jonah is what you get. You don't get to smack the Romans in the nose and send them packing. You don't get to take their children as slaves. That's not what we're about. That's not what God's about. So Jesus enters the tomb. He dies on a cross. He goes into the tomb, and three days later, he comes out again, and then he tells his disciples... Go into all the world and preach good news